Well, hey, welcome, welcome. Today, I believe, is going to be a day where your life is going to be changed by a guy dressed as a stormtrooper. And so it's going to be a fun day today. Hey, I don't know what you believe about ghosts. Uh, some people are really diehard fans of ghosts. They're like, oh, yeah, ghosts are real. And uh, then there's other people who don't believe in ghosts. They're like, no, no way, ghosts aren't real. And then there's other people who are like, I'm just trying to get out of debt. Like, like, does believing in ghosts help me get out of debt? If so, I believe in them, you know? Or, or like, I'm just trying to make my marriage better, and so if believing in ghosts is going to help me with my marriage, then I believe in them. So, so I don't know where you are in the spectrum of what you believe about ghosts, and I'm not going to answer that trivia question for you today. Uh, but, but there are people who, who are diehard ghost fans and then people who don't believe in ghosts. And then there's a lot of people who make a lot of money on ghosts, right? I mean, there, there's a multi-billion dollar industry centered around ghosts. There, there, there's TV shows like Ghost Hunters. There's a fictional series like The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. There's also movies about ghosts, go, uh, movies like Insidious, uh, The Others, The Shining, and Ghost. And so there's, there's movies about ghosts. And uh, there are people who, who love ghosts. There are people who are scared of ghosts. And there are people who get rich off of ghosts. I want to be in that last category right there, right? I'm not. But uh, so there's all this stuff around ghosts, and one of the things that I find fascinating is uh, some of the, the pictures that people produce as evidence for ghosts, and um, I'm not so sold on some of these pictures, because like with a picture, like if you just look in that, in that red circle, maybe there's like a specter right there, I don't know, uh, and then here's, here's another image. If you zoom in on that, on that window, it looks maybe like there's a girl who's like looking out the window there. And so, so there's some evidence for ghosts. Again, it's not really convincing for me. I think probably what's even more convincing than, than the photos are, are video evidence, right? Like if you produce video evidence for me, it's like, man, that, how, how do you argue with that? And, and, and I came across this one video, this one, this one shot that is so convincing of the existence of ghosts. And, and I want to show it to you, but, but I got to warn you. If you blink, you'll miss it. All right? Here, check, check this out. What more proof do you need, right? Ghosts are real. You can see it. Here, I'll show you another one just for fun. Check this one out. Yeah, he... He did not do a good job of getting his scare on, right? And so, and so I don't know what you think about ghosts, if you believe in ghosts or not. Uh, now, th there is a, a moment in the Old Testament, I think it's 1 Samuel 28, where um, uh, the witch of Endor makes an appearance, and uh, I think it's Saul. Saul goes to the witch of Endor, and he asks her to summon the ghost of Samuel. Samuel's been dead for a long time, and so she summons him, and Samuel actually appears as a ghostly figure, and so maybe there's some evidence right there that, that ghosts are real, but, but in 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 5, um, it's explained to us that, that when we die, um, our soul goes to be with God forever and eternity, if we've made the decision to say yes to Jesus and believe in him. If we haven't made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to believe, follow, and be immersed in him, then our, our soul is separated from God for all of eternity, and so, so what it seems to indicate in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
is that when we die, our soul goes to either be with God or we're separated from God for all of eternity. But there's no indication of us just kind of hanging out here in limbo on this earth haunting people. So, 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 so I don't know. If you, if you believe in ghosts, great. If you don't believe in ghosts, that, that, that's great. I, I don't really believe so much in ghosts. And it's not something I'm going to fight you on because... Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't help us become more like Jesus, and it's not going to get us into heaven. It's not a sal- salvation issue. But, but there's people who, who believe in all kinds of different things when it comes to ghosts. And uh, again, I, I just don't know about the existence of ghosts. But, but I do know about one ghost that is real. And I'm not talking about Casper the Friendly Ghost. I'm not, I'm not talking about Slimer from Ghostbusters. I'm not even talking about the ghosts of Christmas past, the ghosts of Christmas present, or the ghosts of Christmas future. But I'm talking about the one, the only, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I feel like I summoned the ghost of an old school tent revival preacher right there, right? The Holy Ghost. Yeah. But there, but there really is a ghost who is real. And he either lives in you right now or he desires to live in you. And this is not scary news. It's some of the best news you've ever heard in your life. I remember when I first became a Christian, I heard some of my Christian friends talking about the Holy Ghost. And uh, I didn't know what I had gotten into because they were talking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. And, I, and, and, and I'm, I'm brand new to Christianity at the time. I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm thinking to myself, well, hold on now. We, we believe in ghosts? Like, is that, is that one of the prerequisites for being a Christian? I need to believe in this, this Holy Ghost. Like, are we believing in unicorns also? I mean, that's easy. We know they're real. They, they poop Skittles. But are we, are we believing, in, uh, are we believing in, in the Loch Ness? I mean, I could believe in the Loch Ness because he's real. But ghosts, are we really believing in ghosts? Do I need to believe in aliens? We know they're not real. But do I really need to believe in a ghost? And so I, I was just kind of freaked out about this whole thing. And then they were talking to me about how this ghost wants to come live inside of me. And then I had to pump the brakes real quick. And I was like, I don't know about that. And it's because I didn't understand some things. And then as time went on, I began to learn a little more about what they were talking about. And uh, I want to teach you that today. And so I want to preach from this title, The Ghost in You. The Ghost in in you, because like I said, there really is a ghost who really does exist, and his desire is to live inside of you if he doesn't already live inside of you, or if you're a Christian, you have this ghost living in you, and I want to help you see him like never before. And so, like I said, my, my friends, they, they were talking to me about the Holy Ghost, and I, I was freaking out. I wasn't really sure what that was about, and the reason why I was freaking out, the reason why I was so scared is because my friends were talking to me in King James English. Right, and so they were they were using King James English to talk about uh, this this concept, this understanding, this person who wants to live inside of me, and because of that, it freaked me out. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. See, uh, about 400 years ago, in the early 1600s, uh, King James, the King of England at the time, he uh, commissioned for a translation of the scriptures to be written. And so the, the, the Bible is, is broken up into two separate sections. We have the Old Testament. This is everything before Jesus. And then we have the New Testament. This is everything once Jesus is born and then after Jesus. And so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. 
And what translators did was they said, okay, we don't know Greek or Hebrew. The majority of people don't. So we're going to translate it into a language that they better understand. And so King James commissioned a translation of the scriptures to be made, uh, which is the King James version of the Bible. And so what translators did was they looked at the Hebrew and Greek texts and they said, based on uh, what this means and based on what these words means, here's the English equivalent for it. And so they came up with their translation. I'll give you an example uh, of just a verse from the King James Version. It's James chapter 1, verse 5, and it says this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. See, when you read the King James Version, it's written in the King's English, and so it kind of sounds like you're reading Shakespeare. And so this is, this is what the King James Version says in James chapter 1, verse 5. But here's what it says in the New International Version, a, a version that's more modern to our language today. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so for people 400 years ago who are living in England, when they read this passage and they see upbraideth, they knew exactly what that meant because that's how they talked. When we see upbraideth, we, we're like, we have, what is this about? Are we braiding hair? Like what? This doesn't make sense. And so that phrase upbraideth means without finding fault. And so that makes sense to us because that's how we talk now. That's how they talked then. And so what I found is that my friends were talking to me in King James English when they talked about the Holy Ghost. Because throughout the Greek New Testament, there's this word that's used several times, and it's the word pneuma. Let me hear you say pneuma. pneuma. Yeah. And sometimes this word pneuma is in a, a, like a different, it, it's conjugated differently where it's pneumatos. And sometimes that word pneumatos has the word hagiu in front of it, hagiu pneumatos. The word hagiu means holy, and then pneumatos means wind, breath, spirit. Missed. And so what happened is the King James translators looked at this word pneuma, pneumatos, air, wind, breath, and they thought, what's, what's airy, what's wind, what's breath? And they said, oh, ghost. Let, let's put ghost in there for that translation. And so they came up with hagiu, holy, pneumatos, ghost. And then translators today looked at it and said, well, now when we think about ghosts, we think about something a little creepier than what this is trying to convey. And so they said, what, what's wind, what's breath, what's mist? Ah, spirit, spirit. And so the Holy Ghost that my friends were talking about is really the Holy Spirit that we would talk about today. And, and here's, here's what I've come to discover, that you and I are made up of body, mind, and spirit, that that we have our body, our physical body. This is what we use to, to act with and, and, and do things with. We, we live with our body. Our mind makes our decisions. And then our spirit is like the essence of who we are. Our soul is who we are. And what I discovered is that all throughout the story of the scriptures, God has been on this journey to get closer to us. God, God longs to get close to you. He desires to get close to you. And we see it in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. God creates all things by speaking it into existence. And then as time unfolds, he creates a man in his own image. He molds him from the dust of the ground. He breathes his breath into his lungs. And then he makes Eve from his rib. And so now here's Adam and Eve. And the scriptures say that God was with them, walking in the cool of the day, in the garden with them. 
And so God's presence was right there with Adam and Eve. Like God was so real to Adam and Eve, uh, j- just like the person sitting next to you is so real to you. You know that they're there. You see them there. That was how it was with God and Adam and Eve. They had this relationship. And so God creates them out of love to share his love with them and to be in relationship with him. But then there's this moment where Adam and Eve decide to go their own way. They, they rebel against God. They say, God, we think we know better than you do, and so we're going to do our own thing. And before you judge Adam and Eve too harshly, you and I, we do the same thing all the time. Every single day, we make the same decision. God, I think I know better when it comes to sex, so I'm going to do sex my way. I think I know better when it comes to money, and so I'm going to do money my way. I think I know better when it comes to relationships, so I'm going to do relationships my way. I think I know better when it comes to priorities, so I'm going to do priorities my way. You and I, we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. And there was this moment where they said, God, we, we think we know better than you. And what they did was they rebelled against God. God said, don't eat this fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And they said, mm, we're going to eat it anyway. And they eat. And in that act of eating, it's rebellion against God. God, we think we know better than you. We know you said not to, but we're going to do it anyway. And what happens is a separation takes place between Adam and Eve and God. Because God is holy. God can have nothing to do with sin, and sin is what enters the world when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit. Sin is everything we do that we regret. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is saying, God, I think I know better than you, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And you and I have, are guilty of sin, and you get it, you understand that. You don't need me to tell you that because you feel it in your life. I feel it in my life. Sin is everything we do where We feel shame. Sin is what we do when we hurt others and we hurt ourselves. Sin is the regret that we feel. Sin is when we miss God's perfect standard. We go our own way. And every time we go our own way, we think we know best. Come on, it doesn't get us anywhere good. You've experienced this. And so this is what happens with Adam and Eve. They go their own way. They stop following God. And then there's a separation between them. Because again, God is holy. He can have nothing to do with sin. And so there's a separation that's created. So separation maybe you feel sometimes. If you were to say, man, I feel like God is this far from me. Man, I really, I really need to be in church because I'm just feeling this weighing down on me. Like I feel far from God. I got to get closer to him. I got to get back to him. Maybe you felt that way. And the truth is, in the distance that we feel with God, at no point is it ever God running from us. But it's us running from God. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is God is on this constant journey to close the gap, to bridge the divide between humanity and himself. And so all throughout the Old Testament, the story is that God is speaking to people through angels. God is speaking to people through prophets. And then God says, okay, tell you what. I want you to build this tabernacle, this temporary tent where when it gets, um, uh, I got to use a different word. I was going to say one, but I'm not going to. When, when it is built, we'll just say that, when, it's, when the structure is built, uh, then my spirit will come and rest in this place. And then God said, you know what, let's, let's, let's do a, a permanent location. And so he gives instruction for a temple to be built. And he says, my spirit will come and be in that temple at all times. And so God is constantly trying to get closer and closer to humanity, but none of this is close enough. 
And then eventually, God puts on flesh, and he's born of a virgin. He lives as the person of Jesus, and he lives among us. And so now God, God is super close. He's here with us. One of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. And so Jesus was here with us, live and in person on this planet, but that still wasn't close enough for God. And so what Jesus did was he took your sin and my sin, everything that separates us from God, he took it on himself when he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he killed the thing that separates us from him. So because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his resurrection from the tomb, you and I can have life. The thing that separates us from God has been done away with, and we no longer need to be separated from him. And that applies to us when we make the decision to accept a sacrifice he made. See, what happened 2,000 years ago was Jesus gave us this gift on the cross. He said, I'm taking your sin away, the thing that separates you from me. I'm removing it from you altogether. You are fully forgiven. But just like with any gift, it's not ours until we reach out and grab hold of it. And so Jesus gave us the gift of forgiveness, and uh, we reach out and take hold of it when we believe that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. And because we believe, we decide, God, I'm going to follow you with my life. I'm going to make you the leader of my life, not just the savior of my soul, but the leader of my life. I'm going to follow you so that what you say goes in my life. And I'm going to meet you in the waters of baptism so that I could be buried with you in death and rise up a brand new creation. And so the way that we accept this gift that God has given us is by believing in Jesus, following him, and then being immersed into him. And when this happens, God's spirit comes to live inside of us. Because this is God's desire all along. How do I bridge the gap? How do I get closer to them? Again, speaking through prophets and angels, creating a, a temporary tent where his presence would be, having a temple, a permanent location where his presence would be, none of that is close enough. And then even putting on flesh and living among us as a person of Jesus, still not close enough. His desire is to come live inside of you, his spirit dwelling within you. And Paul, this, uh, this early church planner who started churches all over the Roman world, he, he wrote a third of the New Testament. He actually writes about uh, God's desire to come live inside of you. He says this. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. peace. What he's doing is he's setting this picture, a dichotomy between life and death between how you used to be and who God is calling you to be. He, he, he's setting this, this line right down the middle. And he's like, there are those who are separated from God and those who are close to God. And it's those who live by the Spirit and those who don't. He said, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God, verse 7. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, he, he's talking to Christians here, people who have accepted Jesus, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if, if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And so what we find and what Paul writes in Romans is that there are two separate ways that we can live. We can live according to our sinful nature. God, I think I know what's best. Or we can live according to the spirit. God, I'm going to follow what you say. We, we can live either dead in our sin or we can live alive, forgiven in Jesus. There's two different ways that we live. And what he's describing here is somebody saying yes to Jesus. And when you become a Christian, i got to be clear on this. This isn't a do-over. When you say yes to following Jesus, it's not like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot and be a better person. It's not like, uh, I'm going to say yes to Jesus, become a Christian so I can be better. No, here's the truth. Before saying yes to Jesus, you are dead. You are the walking dead. When you say yes to Jesus, your dead self is buried with him in baptism and you come up alive, a brand new creation. Without that, you are dead. It's not a do-over. It's not a second chance. It's a, it's a, I was dead and now I'm alive. And so this is the, the decision that needs to be made. If you've never said yes to Jesus, it's not saying, do I want to be a better person? It's not saying, do I want to do-over? It's saying, do I want to be dead or do I want to be alive? Which one is it? And, and I find it fascinating that, that Paul says this. He, he says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. So you can either live controlled by your sinful nature, doing the opposite of what God says, or you can live controlled by the Spirit. He said, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if, if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. He said, if you have the spirit of God living in you. You know, I used to wonder that. Do I have the spirit of God living in me? Because it seems like a pretty big deal. Right? Like, do I have his spirit or not? And I wasn't sure how I got God's spirit. Like, when does that happen? Like, how do I know? Because I want to know. Because I feel like. From what he's saying, if I don't have God's spirit, then I'm probably not a Christian. I'm probably not going to be with Jesus. I'm probably, like, so how do I know? Like, am I born with God's spirit? Like, do I just get born in the world and I got God's spirit? Or do I go to church and then, like, as I leave and I get a carabiner for my first time gift, I get a bonus gift of God's spirit? Like, when do I, when do I receive God's spirit? Do I pray for it? Does somebody touch me and I, and I speak in different languages? Like, how do I know? How do I know? How do I, how do you? If you have God's, that's a big deal. How do we know if we have God's spirit? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. And then Peter, one of his closest followers, expands on that, and he actually makes it even clearer for us so we can know for certain. Here's, here's what Jesus says. John chapter 3, verse 5. He's talking to this guy, this religious leader, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is asking, hey, how do I, how do I know? How do I enter into God's kingdom? And Jesus said this, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Water 
in the spirit. He said, you can't enter God's kingdom unless you're born of water and the spirit. And so what is he talking about here? Well, Peter, Jesus' closest follower, he connects it. He helps us see. There's this time where Peter is preaching to a crowd of thousands and thousands of people, and they are convicted by what he says. They believe what he says, and they're like, okay, we want in on this. So they believe. And then they say, well, what do we need to do? And then Peter explains it to them. Peter replied, repent, and repent really just means to follow Jesus. Like you're going your own way, repent, repent is a 180, I'm going this way, and I repent, I turn around, and now I'm going this way. And so repentance is saying, God, I was going my way, but now I'm going to go your way. So he says, okay, now that you believe, because you're asking, what do we need to do? Follow Jesus, because you believe that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, follow him, let that belief shape your life. It's amazing to me how so often people will say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but they don't let that belief become core in who they are, and it doesn't transform their life. Peter says, okay, now that you believe, repent and be baptized. There's the water. Because in baptism, we're immersed into Jesus. There's water here. But where's the spirit? Hold on. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, when you're baptized, he explains, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. We see this in other places in the scriptures as well. And, and, if you act right now, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Water and spirit. Peter explains, when you, because you believe, decide to follow Jesus, repent, and are baptized into him, you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins get washed away. Not because of anything special in the water, but because God is meeting you in that moment and he's doing a work in you through his grace. And it's in that moment, water and spirit, Jesus said, that God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit living in me? You've believed that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. Because you believe, you said, I'm going to follow him. And then you are immersed into Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, can I just let you know that according to the scriptures, you're not a Christian. If you've never made the decision to believe in Jesus, follow him and be baptized, God's spirit doesn't live inside of you. And I'm not talking about what your last church taught you. I don't care about that. Last pastor said, doesn't matter to me. This is what God's word says. That's, that's our ultimate authority. That's what we're going to go on. Doesn't matter what your grandma said. Jesus said that unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter his kingdom. Peter said, when you repent and are baptized, what happens in that moment is your sins are forgiven. And God's spirit comes to live inside of you. So I wonder, have you ever made that decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized into him? I'm not asking you to pray a prayer. That doesn't seem to indicate that's when God's spirit comes to live inside of you. I'm not asking, did your parents get you wet when you were a baby? You didn't make that decision. 
I'm not asking if you had a moment in your life where you were six years old and everybody in the church was getting baptized and your parents said, hey, if you get baptized, we're going to buy you ice cream. And you said, okay, I'm in. I'm talking about, have you made the decision to believe? Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. You rose again from the dead. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. But do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again from the dead? And are you willing to allow that belief to shape your entire life? So that you say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be not just the savior of my soul, but the leader of my life. And I'm going to start to align my life in a way where I'm following you. Because you know the way to life. And I'm going to meet you in the waters of baptism so that my sins can be washed away so that your spirit can come to live inside of me. So that like it says the letter to the Corinthians so that I can be buried with you in baptism and come up a brand new creation. You know you only bury dead things. If you're alive before baptism you don't need to get buried in the waters of baptism. You bury something that's alive you're going to jail. You only bury dead things until you make the decision to say yes to Jesus by believing, following, and being immersed in him, you're dead. Have you made the decision to be fully alive by being baptized in him? Have you clothed yourself with Christ and been adopted into his family? These are all things that happen in baptism. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to make that decision today. It's the most important decision you ever make in your life. I just want to invite you right now, just everybody, you can go ahead and take your phone out, and I want you to scan this QR code. It's for our app. And even if you've already been baptized, you've made the decision to follow Jesus, and, and you don't need to fill this out, or you don't need to make this decision, scan this and download our app. It's a great way for you to keep up with what's going on here at Journey. But on our app, there's a form there that says connect. You can tap that form. Fill out your information, and there's some boxes there. One says, I want to get baptized. The other says, I have questions about baptism. You can check that one, too. If you're not ready yet, but you still got some questions, check that one. But, man, I don't want you to leave today without nailing it down, without making the decision, without going all in, without saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus and God I want your spirit living in me because I've been trying to live this life on my own and it's not working I need your help and that's what we remind ourselves of when we celebrate communion see when we celebrate communion we remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that he rose again from the grave and if he walked out of the grave we could walk out too we have victory so in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to take communion. But before that, can I just remind those of you who are Christians, who have said yes to Jesus, to be baptized into him, you've already made that decision. Can I just remind you that you have God's spirit living in you? You do. Sometimes people say, man, I want to get filled up with the spirit. I need to get filled with the spirit. I need some more of the spirit in me. If you're a Christian, you're already full of God's Spirit. You're full of it. <laughs> you are. 
You don't need to get filled up on anything. He's already in you. <laughs> Sometimes people will look at somebody who seems really spiritual and all that stuff and like, oh man, they're so full of the spirit. If you're a Christian, so are you. You got the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. And this is true. Even for the Christian who feels far from God right now, you have God's spirit living in you. This is true even for the Christian who feels weak right now. You have God's spirit living inside of you. Can I just remind you of that? Paul says in Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What's that mean? It means that you have resurrection power in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so you have a spirit in you who has the power to break the addiction. He's a spirit who gives you the power to love when it's hard to love. He's a spirit that'll give you joy even when you're not happy. He's a spirit who provides peace in the midst of chaos. He's a spirit who will give you the patience in a trying time. You have a spirit in you who will help you be kind when all you wanna do is be mad and mean. He gives you goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and he'll give you the self-control to overcome. So if God is for you, who can be against you? You have a spirit of power in you. You have a ghost in you. And he's the same ghost that helped Jesus walk out of the grave. And if Jesus walked out of the grave, you can too. You can too. If Jesus walked out of the grave, you can too.